0: I hope that's your prayer that God would speak and transform your heart through His Word this morning. Before we get into uh, the, the sermon this morning, I just want to make you aware of some of the plans for the next several weeks. If you were not here last week, I want you to know that we uh, voted uh, in a senior pastor, and so uh, your new pastor, his name is is Nick Taylor. Um, so everyone's happy. <laughs> Yeah. And uh, I know that Nick is anxious to be with you, and I know that you're anxious to, to hear from Nick. But um, just so you know, the, the things going on right now, Nick has shared with his church this past Wednesday, with his deacons, the uh, Monday, and will share again this morning. Uh, their service is at 1030 as well, and so they're doing what we're doing right now. Uh, so far, up until this morning, everything had gone extremely well, and he had, had great favor with his people and while they were sad, they were also very excited for Nick and his family. And this is something we've Cross Point has prayed for. We've also prayed for Pollock and we want to continue to pray for First Baptist Pollock. Um, Nick will be in Baton Rouge probably the first week of October. They've been house hunting, and so I'd ask you to pray that God would provide a house and also that his house in Pollock would, would sell. They've also they've already had a Three or four people looking in the house at the house, which is quite amazing already. So they'll be here the first week of October, but that doesn't necessarily mean he'll be in the office and ready to do counseling with you. Um, it may be some time before he gets gets settled. Um, and his first Sunday to preach to share the word with us will be October 21st. October 21st. So we um, may not see some of you until then. I'm just kidding. Uh, no, but until that until that point, we will continue our sermon series in the in the book of Proverbs. I'll begin to threaten him with preaching through Song of Solomon if he doesn't get up soon, and I know that he'll he'll rush at that point. So. So we'll be in the book of Proverbs until that point, and again, Nick will be here October 21st, and just so you know, even last week, Nick was here on, stopped by on Friday, just as he was, they were in town looking for houses, and Nick has said over and over again, he just wants to be here, he's ready to be here. As he said last Sunday, he already loves you, and so he, he's ready to be here, and we're all, we're all ready for that, and we're all extremely excited. So please continue to be in prayer for them. Well, this morning we're going to be in the book of Proverbs. We've started a, done a, a couple of sermons about every other week for the last month on how to be successful in God's world. How to be successful in God's world. And what we're talking about in that is how has God designed the world and, and us to live within the world he's designed? God's created the world. God's created everything within the world. And so just like an inventor, there's a certain way in which that inventor knows that his invention is to be used. It's the same way in God's world. He's created, and created it in such a way that there are laws that happen. There are natural consequences that happen because of particular behaviors. And then there are also natural blessings that come because of particular behaviors. And so that's what we're talking about when we say how to be successful in God's world. It, now, it doesn't mean uh, the world's definition of success. Please don't take it that, that simply. It's God's definition of, of success. How, can we, how has God created us to live within his world? That's what we're dealing with. And so this morning what we're talking about is seek wisdom. How, how are we to be successful in God's world? We're created to seek wisdom. And I, I don't want to spend as much time ty- trying to convince you of the value of wisdom. I hope that if, if you were here several weeks ago, we talked about the fear of the Lord being the beginning of wisdom. And in that sermon, there was, there was a section in which I talked about the consequences of not seeking wisdom. When we don't fear the Lord, this is what happens. And so hopefully, if you, if you haven't listened to that or if you've forgotten, go back and listen to that or just read through the book of Proverbs and you'll see what happens when you don't seek wisdom. So I don't want to spend as much time this morning talking about the value of it. But I want to take time to look at where do we go to find it? How do we order our lives in such a way that we're constantly growing in wisdom? How do we put ourselves within the path of wisdom to where where we're growing in it and we're acting wisely in everything we do? In everything. Um, A a couple of, of verses just to... Remind you of the value of it. Proverbs sixteen sixteen. Get wisdom. How much better it is than gold. Get understanding. It's preferable to silver. Wisdom is even more valuable than any other riches in the world. As the song that we sang said, uh, the riches come and go. But wisdom is better than those things. And, and if we spent any time researching uh, the lifestyle of the rich and famous today, I think that we would see that wisdom is much more valuable. If you just look at the magazines and the aisle at the grocery store, you can say, I, I don't want to be there. Most of us would say that. It's much more valuable than riches. Proverbs 17.1, Better is a dry morsel with quiet than a house full of feasting with strife. Better is a dry morsel with quiet than a house full of feasting with strife. See, it's better to not have much at all but to have peace in the home than to have a lot and there just be constant contention in the home. These proverbs are reminding us of the value of wisdom. You see, the problem with being rich and not wise is that God created even riches. And so when we don't know him, we don't use them the way that he created them to be used and then Even if we have practically everything, we'll still be dissatisfied. We're still not happy. And so if we're going to have riches, we also need wisdom to know how to use those riches well and to enjoy them properly. So wisdom is extremely valuable Extremely valuable. As I said a, a few weeks ago in defining wisdom, it, it entails the ability to avoid unnecessary problems in life and the skill to handle those unnecessary problems when they, when they do present themselves. All of us want that. And then it's also valuable because the opposite of wisdom is foolishness. It's the only other option. If you're not going to be growing in wisdom, you're going to be growing in foolishness. Does anybody prefer that one? I don't think anybody would raise their hand. So, wisdom is extremely valuable. But then, like I said, where, where do we find it? Where do we find wisdom? And the easy answer, hopefully the obvious one, is that wisdom comes from God, right? As we said in the first sermon in this series, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Proverbs one seven, Job 28, the fear of the Lord, that is wisdom. So, this is where we have to begin. Wisdom comes from God, Proverbs two six, for the Lord gives wisdom; from His mouth come knowledge and understanding. If we want wisdom, we should be going to God first. Proverbs three five, trust in the Lord. All of us are f- very familiar with this, ver- these verses. Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and don't rely on your own understanding. Acknowledge Him in all your ways, and He will make your paths straight. The first place we should go for wisdom is the Lord. And I hope all of you have made it a personal discipline to do Bible study and prayer. Friends, there's no replacement for those things. If we want wisdom, we need to know God. But at the same time, and this is where we're going to go for the rest of our, our time, there's this kind of super spiritual notion sometimes that if we pray about something and if we know God then we're automatically going to end up at the right right decision. But the Proverbs teach something different than that. That God has ordained certain outlets and authority structures for us to find his wisdom. And a lot of this isn't going to be new to any of you, but I hope it's a a good reminder. Listen to these verses from, from Proverbs where it talks about when we don't get counselors. Okay. Proverbs 11:14: "Where there is no guidance, a nation falls, but there is success in the abundance of counselors." It, I hope you've opened the bulletin sorry, I'm saying this late, but many of these verses are in your uh, notes this morning. Proverbs 15:22: "Plans fail when the, where there is no counsel, but with abundant advisors, they are established." Proverbs 20.18, plans are established by counsel, so make war with guidance. And to the one who um, doesn't seek wisdom, in contrast to the person who seeks wisdom from other people and who gets counselors, is this person described in Proverbs 18.1, one of my favorite verses in Proverbs, one who isolates himself pursues his own selfish desires. He rebels against all sound judgment. What I hope you hear this morning, friends, is that, yes, from God's mouth come wisdom and understanding. It is from the Lord that we receive wisdom. But, at the same time, God has placed certain structures within the world in which we're to go to find that wisdom. God's wisdom comes from his word and through prayer. But God has also given us one another. God has also given us parents and things of that nature in which we are to learn wisdom, God's wisdom. All of us have probably been in a place where we didn't want to ask someone's advice because we didn't want to hear something opposite to what we wanted, right? It might have been a lifestyle choice or maybe just a, a, a simple purchase you see, it's often easy for us to deceive our own hearts, even in prayer and before God. But it's not easy, so easy, to deceive other people, those people who know us well. And so this person, it says in Proverbs 18.1, he isolates himself and he seeks his own desires. He seeks his selfish desires. He rebels against all sound judgment. Sometimes, friends, we can pray our hearts out and we can study God's word and we can still deceive ourselves. And so what the Proverbs, I I believe, urge us to do is to seek wisdom from God, but also to go to people and to ask them for counsel. And this is where we want to go for the rest of our, our time. We learn wisdom from God himself, but we also learn wisdom by submitting ourselves to the structures God has put in place for us to grow in wisdom. So, The last two points, wisdom comes from human authorities and wisdom comes from friends. Wisdom comes from human authorities and wisdom comes from friends. The first type of human authority that God has put in place is parents. And this is where Proverbs goes very quickly. Look at Proverbs chapter 1 verses 8 through 9. Immediately after it says that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, you hear the voice of a father. The voice of a father in verse 8. Chapter 1, verse 8. I still hear you flipping. He says in verse 8, Hear, my son, your father's instruction, and forsake not your mother's teaching, for there a a graceful garland for your head And pendants for your neck. And then the father goes on to provide these warnings for the son about the path that he should walk. See, the parent in Proverbs is not only supposed to provide discipline, which we'll see that, but they're also to provide formative instruction for the child. They know what challenges are going to come for the child in the future. And so they're preparing that child every day of their life for the challenges that will come and the decisions they'll need to make. There's a parental role in the Proverbs of providing, teaching wisdom, and it's so apparent that one pastor actually says that the parent is the very voice of wisdom. Proverbs 5.1, My son, pay attention to my wisdom, listen closely to my understanding, so that you may maintain discretion and your lips might safeguard knowledge. Then the father says to his son in Proverbs 7, and these, this is rather lengthy. So Proverbs chapter 7, if you'll turn there, we're going to look at verses 6 through 10. And look at the, how the father teaches his child here. And there are many of you who don't have children in here. Some of you have children who are grown and you fi- might find this difficult to apply. But know that throughout the Bible, the, the parent is a, as a model of the Lord. And so, when the parent does things and teaches, it's the same way they're supposed to do it as a reflection of what God does for each and every one of us. And so, if you don't have children, then think about how this relates to you and the Lord. The father says to his son in Proverbs 7, 6-10, At the window of my house I looked through my lattice. I saw among the inexperienced... I noticed among the youths a young man lacking sense. Crossing the street near her corner, this woman, he strolled down the road to her house at twilight in the evening, in the dark of the night. A woman came to meet him dressed like a prostitute, having a hidden agenda. Verse 13. She grabs him and kisses him. Verse 21. She seduces him with her persistent pleading. She lures with her flattering talk. He follows her impulsively like an ox going to the slaughter. Like a deer bounding toward a trap until an arrow pierces its liver. Like a bird darting into a snare. He doesn't know it will cost him his life. You see what this father is doing? This father has witnessed the the life cycle of someone who doesn't seek wisdom. Just in everyday life, he saw this happen. And so the wise parent is speaking from lessons they've learned. Children, children, youth, parents tell you because they know. They tell you because they've seen these things happen, bad things. And so when they provide instruction for you, it's for your good and because they love you. You can also see here the urgency of a parent's instruction. The urgency. This simple child was walking to his death and didn't even know it, to the very ruin of his life and didn't know it. Parents, what you do is urgent. It's very important. I was in a meeting recently with a group of seasoned pastors from the Baton Rouge area. And one of the pastors was had been a pastor at a, Church in an urban part downtown Baton Rouge, and he'd been a pastor there for a number of years and Where he was pastoring, there were windows in which he could really see into the city where lots of people walked by and he He told the story about a particular uh, kid, a young kid, who he basically got to see grow up just by the kid walking by his window to school daily and then walking back from school well. Also, across the street from the church was a place where a group of guys would hang out under this tree, probably close to a park. And and he said he was aware, he knew that there was drug activity that would happen there between these guys. And all of us know the the things that usually occur along with the drug activity, that that's a, a downward spiral into many other things. But he said... It was such a a visible illustration to him. You see, he saw this kid walk by to school and at first he would there would be that group of guys over there across the street and at first he would just walk by and not even look on the way to school and on the way back whenever he would see them and he wouldn't even look. But then eventually as time went by the kid would walk by and he would start to look across the street at the group of guys. And but he would keep on walking. And then as time went by, he would walk by and he would look over there and he would look more slowly at the group of guys. And then eventually he saw that the kid was walking on the other side of the street. And he would walk by that group, continue to walk by, but still pay closer attention to what was going on. And this was as the kid got older. And then eventually, before the kid was out of high school, he said he noticed that the kid was no longer walking by. He, would, he was with the group. The group of guys that would usually be in, involved in the, the drug activity and whatever it was. It's an illustration of what can happen to all of us, to children, when they aren't warned about the dangers, the consequences of... Life of bad decisions. You see, parents, older people have seen the cycle of foolish decisions. And we need to make sure, you need to make sure you're sharing this with your children. You need to make sure that you're not protecting your children from the consequences of their decision. Because it'll be worse for them when you're not there to protect them. You need to let those consequences play out while you're there. So that when it happens later, or maybe it won't happen later. Maybe they've learned by then. Children, your parents are smarter than you think and they love you more than you know. I, I love this quote from Mark Twain and I think it illustrates what so many of us feel when we're young in our twenties. He says, When I was eighteen, I thought my father was was the dumbest man in the world. When I turned twenty one I was amazed to see how much the man had learned in three years. <laughs> Children, that's how you'll feel soon enough. So take the advice now. Listen to your parents. God has placed them there for your good. God has placed them there because he loves you. And they do what they do because they love you. So listen to them. Proverbs thirteen twenty four: He who spares the rod hates his son, but he who loves him is careful to discipline him. By disciplining the child, the parent is modeling the Lord's discipline. That bad decisions come with consequences. And children, listen to this verse. Proverbs 13.1, a wise son or daughter responds to the father's discipline, but a mocker doesn't listen to rebuke. And look what happens. If a parent gives the child wisdom, that wisdom is going to go on with that child even after they leave the home. Proverbs 19.27, if you stop listening to correction, my son, you will stray from the words of knowledge. If you stop listening to correction, you will stray from the words of knowledge. I have a friend, many of you know this friend, and it's so funny to me how he disciplines his children, but such a good illustration. He, he will spank the children, they're young, and he'll say, why does daddy spank you? And he's taught them to say, to, to keep my heart soft. <laughs> These little children, they'll say, to keep my heart soft. And he'll say, what happens when you disobey mommy and daddy? And they'll say, I get a spanking. And then he'll say, what happens when you're older and you disobey? And the children say, I go to jail. These little children, (laughs) I go to jail. What happens when you disobey God? What happens when you disobey God? And I don't know if he's taught them what to say, but the answer is you'll be separated from God. But do you see how God has put within all of life these systems, these structures of authority, so that we would learn wisdom and so that we would learn obedience? When we disobey our parents, there are to be consequences. When we disobey the law, there will be worse consequences. And then when we disobey God, it's the worst consequence of all. We will be eternally separated from Him in hell. Isn't God wise? How he's placed within society and with our lives, these structures that are to teach us wisdom and submission. Parents, it's urgent. What you do is extremely important. Are you providing wisdom so that your children will be fully equipped to live wisely when they leave the home? Children, students, are you listening to the instruction of your parents? Are you heeding to it as if it's, it, your life depends on it? Because it does. But we do know that not everyone has the ideal childhood. Not everyone has these people, who can these parents who can offer us wisdom. And so, it's not just parents who God has provided as human authorities for our lives. It's any wise person. Listen to Proverbs 13, 14. A wise man's instruction is a fountain of life, turning people away from the snares of death. Maybe your children are, go- are grown. That doesn't mean you have no role anymore to provide wisdom for younger people. You still have a role. I would urge the younger people. I, I love these verses. Proverbs sixteen thirty one. Gray hair is like a crown of glory. It's attained in the path of Righteousness if you find a person with gray hair in the church, just run to them and just say, help me. Just hug them say, I need you. Proverbs 20, 29, the glory of young men is their strength and the splendor of old men is gray hair. Gray hair demands automatic respect. Now, there are some people with gray hair who are not worthy of some of the respect, but as a general rule, They've, ex- rule, they've experienced much more than you have, young people, and they deserve our respect. I know I'm not the person most qualified to teach through Proverbs. I realize that. But Mr. Al said no for right now. So, <laughs> no. But run to these people and seek their wisdom. This is a structure God has given parents and then older people who have wisdom and just people in your life. So I hope you're learning wisdom from human authorities. But then the last thing we'll look at is that wisdom comes from friends. Wisdom comes from friends. Proverbs 13, 20. The one who walks with the wise will become wise, but a companion of fools will suffer harm. Make sure you hear that. The one who walks with the wise will become wise, but a companion of fools will suffer harm. I wonder, for all of us, are are your friends people that you would like to be okay with being like in terms of their character? Would you be okay with that? Because that's what happens. There's a conforming influence of friends in our lives. And so we need to be aware of that when we're choosing them. Proverbs 27, 27, 17. Iron sharpens iron, and so one man sharpens another. While... And it's true, while there is, a sense, iron can sharpen iron. If you've ever tried to sharpen a knife, you know this. But, you know, sharpening a knife, it's a, it's a skillful thing if you've ever tried to do it. You, you have to put the blade on there a certain way, or you can even damage the blade and make it worse than it was before. If I have a, I have a bat in my office. Don't come in if you don't announce yourself. And it's made of a particular type of metal, but if I, if I was to take a knife and say, I'm going to try to sharpen this knife with this bat, and I'm going to try to just saw through it, would that work well? That, that wouldn't be good, would it? It wouldn't work. It's true that iron does sharpen iron if it's used properly. But it's also true that iron can dull another iron if it's not used well. And so... For us, and as it relates to friendship, friendship can also be a dulling influence. It can as much as it can grow us in wisdom, it can also do the opposite if it's not a healthy friendship. So biblical friendship, therefore Christian friendship, it's more than good entertaining company, while well, that's part of it. It's also marked by truthfulness and faithfulness. And I hope you see these two aspects in the rest of the verses from Proverbs that we'll look at these two proverbs twenty-eight, twenty-three. the one who reproves another will in the end find more favor than the one who flatters with the tongue i wonder if your friends are people who will love you more because you speak truthfully to them even when it's hard to take Are your friends people who will love you more because you speak difficult truths to them? And will they do the same for you? Will you love your friends more because they speak difficult truths into your life? That's biblical friendship. Proverbs 27.6 Faithful are the wounds of a friend, but the kisses of an enemy are excessive. Friends aren't people who just make us feel good about ourselves. Sometimes they'll make us feel a bit rotten. But it's because they love us. It's because they're seeking our good. True friendship is marked by faithfulness and this frankness, this truthfulness faithfulness in the sense that they'll stick it through even the most difficult of circumstances, even when you might make a bit of a fool of yourself. But then frankness in the sense that they they won't coddle your sin. They'll even risk your friendship just to speak truthfully to you about your sin. Friends, the New Testament affirms this, this authority structure that we're talking about this authority structure that God is talking about, this way of growing in wisdom. Paul, he reaches back to the Ten Commandments and saying, children, obey your parents as you would the Lord, because this is right. Honor your father and mother. It's the first commandment with a promise, so that it may go well with you and that you might have a long life in the land. Children, remember, your life is dependent on you listening to your parents. You're good is that you listen to your parents. The New Testament also affirms the need to surround ourselves with godly, wise people. 1 Corinthians 15, Don't be deceived. Bad company corrupts good morals. Bad company will corrupt good morals. morals. And when it comes to friendship, Jesus has taught us what this looks like more than anyone. You see, he emulates both faithfulness and truthfulness. Faithfulness. John fifteen thirteen. No one has greater love than this, that someone would lay down his life for his friends. Last night I was with uh, the Vandivers for just a little bit, and I asked Miss Marsha if she needed anything, and she just went on and on about all that people have done for them during this time that Mr. Tom has been in the hospital. The last two weeks. They're fully supplied with food, with snacks, with basically everything they need. Someone even put vending machine money in one of their boxes so that she could get whatever she needed. Someone, one of her neighbors went by and mowed her grass yesterday and just people are just taking care of them. It's a great display of friendship. All of us have experienced friends who have sacrificed for us on different occasions and just done things that they didn't have to do. It was a great display of love and of sacrifice. But friends, I, I don't say this uh, flippantly. That's only a glimpse of Jesus' display of friendship. It really is only a glimpse. As much as we would try to follow him in that, we can never even get close to exactly what he did. Because, you see, when he went all the way to death to, for us... And for friendship with us, he not only just died, but he also bore all the sin that we've done and the consequences of it. Every wrong that you've ever done, Jesus took on himself, every single one of us. He went to the lengths of friendship that none of us could ever go. He's the supreme example of faithful, sacrificial friendship. He's the one that we look to to know how to be a good friend to people. But Jesus also teaches us about the importance of frankness and honesty and friendship. You know, Peter, Jesus would be telling his disciples about having to go to the cross and having to be uh, beaten and all these things. And Peter kind of intervened. And Peter said, this doesn't have to happen to you, Lord. This isn't going to happen to you. And what did Jesus say? Get behind me, Satan. Satan. You're an offense to me because you're not thinking about God's concerns, but about man's. Christ spoke very bluntly to Peter about his sin. Can you think of anyone who is more blunt in friendship than that? In complete love? Jesus is an example of faithful friendship and then truthful friendship. I wonder if you're allowing Christ to speak bluntly to you about your sin. I wonder if Christ is an intimate friend to you. In which you know intimately that Christ has gone to the greatest lengths that could be gone. Just for you and for your sin. That he loves you that intimately. Christ is an intimate friend. He loves you deeply. And He's our example of friendship. So, the way that we obey Christ, the way that we submit to Him, is by listening to the authority structures, the people, the wise people in our lives, and then by also surrounding ourselves with good friends by being in relationships that sharpen us in the gospel and in our faithfulness to the gospel and don't dull us. We need to be very intentional with our friendships, speaking truthfully to one another in love, spurring one another on in love. Wherever you are on this spectrum, this age spectrum, I just want to ask you and encourage you, are you being faithful in seeking wisdom? And in giving wisdom. Whether you're older and you've seen the life spectrum. All the cycles. Are you sharing that? Are you pouring it out so that other people can avoid those pitfalls? Or you're young. Are you seeking that wisdom out? As if your life depended on it. This is just one part of following Jesus. So. I'm going to just allow time. I know that these are unique things, but I just want you to pray for a moment just about your friendships. Are there ways that this could challenge your, your friendships? Are you being completely honest in your friendships? Are you going to the depths that Jesus went to with friendship so that as iron sharpens iron, you can sharpen one another? I want to give you time just to reflect on these things. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you so much for how you have modeled all of this for us. Jesus, we thank you for going to the greatest lengths that could be gone for our sin. Lord Jesus, for dying on the cross and taking our sin upon you, upon yourself, and forgiving us. Thank you so much for speaking so honestly to us about our sin, but then being ready to forgive us when we, as we confess those things to you. We thank you so much, Jesus, that you are, you are frank, but you are so kind. Lord, thank you for placing people in our lives who would give us wisdom, and we pray that we would eagerly seek that. Lord, that we would obey you in all that we do. It's in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to invite you to stand, or you're welcome to remain seated. I'll be here at the front. If there's anything you'd like to talk about...